How's everybody doing? Doing good? All right. Well, um, this morning uh, so far has been interesting. I found out uh, Thursday I was going to be preaching. Uh, Francis is in Dallas, so you can just be praying for him. He uh, spoke at Passion, and uh, then he uh, is speaking right now at our church plant in Rockwall, where uh, Doug Fox and a bunch of people went to. So, and by the way, everything I've, when I hear what's happening in Rockwall right now, it's just so neat to hear what God is doing through that church there. And, and uh, man, it's so off. I do miss Doug, um, especially when I have to make decisions. But um, I really do miss him just as a person. But it, to hear what God's doing there has been such a neat thing. He'll be back in October, actually, the end of October to preach. And so you'll get to see Doug. So that'll be really fun. Um, I'll tell him you guys barely clap for him. Um, just kidding. Yeah, see, that's so much better. He's in, he's in Africa right now, so he might watch the podcast. You need to make him feel good about coming, or he may not come back. Um, but uh, here's what's going to happen this morning. Because I wasn't really sure what I was going to preach on, I'm going to basically show you what God's been teaching me just in my own quiet time. And so you're going to kind of get the outflow of what I've been struggling through. I think... What I've been struggling through, as I've talked across the board with most people, they're also wrestling through a lot of the issues that I'm struggling with as well. Um, You're also going to get my 1 Corinthians class because I teach 1 Corinthians at EBC and I had to prep for that. And uh, Friday I had a date with my wife and I promised no church stuff. We went whale watching and uh, all the women went, oh, all the men are like, I heard you underneath your breath. Um... Yes, I still have my man card, and yes, but my wife really loves me now. Um, and so we'll kind of see where we're going to go today, but the, the area that I want to go to is this. About uh, three or four weeks ago, it hit me. I'm just busy. I feel like I'm busy doing a bunch of different things, and if you ever got to the end of your day and you wondered, did I really accomplish anything? Where you just go, 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 and you're, you know, you're doing your thing, and you know, people are, you're talking with them, and, the, and things are happening, but you get to the end of your day, the end of your week, and you go, wow, what did I really accomplish? And so I just started digging into scripture and asking that question, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? God, tell me, because this world and everything around me is telling me I need to do this, and I need to do that, and I, and it's just constantly bombarding with us what we need to do. And I just needed to get before a holy God and just go, God, I just need you to tell me what I need to do. I need your word to teach me that. And in the midst of it, it was kind of interesting what I learned. And that's this. My job is to be involved in the story that God is fulfilling here on this earth right now. That's my job. God is fulfilling the greatest thing ever in the history of mankind, in the history of ever as he's taking what man did in messing up this world and he's coming back into it and he is changing it and making it different by redeeming people out of this lost and dying world and claiming them for himself. And I've read the book of Revelation and here's the great news. God wins. Like, isn't that just such a good thing? Like, in my week this week, I was sitting there and then all of a sudden Thursday's like, hey, you know, you're going to preach and you've got date with the whales tomorrow and <clears throat> Saturday's when you have time to study. And I was just thinking, isn't it so good to know that in spite of everything that happens here today, God wins? I mean, it's just that took all the pressure off me. And I think in life, the thing we forget is we go frantic a million miles an hour with, should I take this job? Should I not have this job? What am I going to do here? What's this going to happen? And when do we ever just sit down in the morning and go, God, I'm so glad you win. 
I am so glad that you went. In spite of your marriage, where your marriage is at, a, a lady came up to me last service and just said, man, I've got a, an a, a unsaved husband. And, and I just looked at her and I go, aren't you glad God wins? And she just, a big smile came across her face. And she goes, yeah. She goes, I just wish you'd win him. Yeah. And I go, no, I understand that. I understand that. But all of us are doing that. And that's the, actually the thing that Paul's going to be addressing. Paul's writing to a group of people called the Corinthians in this big giant story that God's fulfilling. He's writing to a group of people and helping them understand how it is that they're supposed to live life to, to operate so that they stay in the midst of God fulfilling his story. And in the passage we're going to be looking at in chapter 9, he's just come off of chapter 8 where a group of people were arguing over meat sacrificed to idols, whether we're supposed to eat it or not. It could be kind of like in our day, should we drink alcohol or not drink alcohol? And Paul's whole point is, is this. If it helps fulfill the story of God, do it. If it doesn't, well, don't. Now, see, isn't that simple? If we just took everything in our lives and we just said, man, does this help in fulfilling the story of God? And we evaluated it that way. And then when he gets to chapter 9, and the thing I love about it, Paul's clamoring through this whole thing of being involved in God's story. And go with me to, to 1 Corinthians 9 and look at verse 23. He says this. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now here's why I love that. Paul was taking his whole life and he was, he was, he was bringing it down into one verse and he says, look, I do every aspect of my life for one reason and for one reason only and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ and if it doesn't involve the gospel, I don't do it because I want to share in the blessings of the gospel. I want that in my life. He's going to argue a little later of why he wants the gospel so bad, why he lives his life day in and day out and part of it has to do with this. Over and over when I look at my schedule, I'm doing a lot of things that have nothing to do with God winning and everything to do with me just kind of biding my time here on earth until Jesus comes back. Like about, mm, this must have been five or six weeks ago, I figured out how much uh, time during one week I watch TV. I just thought, huh, I'm going to see how much do I watch TV. I'm just going to watch normal. I'm not going to like try to cut back just because I'm testing myself. And I'm not going to tell you because I'd be embarrassed to tell you what I watch TV. But I thought, oh my gosh, what did that have to do with the gospel? I mean, I watched some great games. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> and sometimes I felt like it was a worship experience. <laughs> but I really had to ask the question, man, did this in any way? Was I like Paul? Was I a man like Paul that said, man, when I get to the end of my week, I do everything to share in its blessings? See, go with me to a couple passages. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. When Paul's wrestling through this, his passion. <clears throat> He's talking about the gospel. And he says this, Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you have taken your stand. I love that word. By this gospel you are saved. And look at this little if clause. It's a conditional statement. You are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. The word if. Conditional. Go with me again. Look with me uh, 
in uh, Hebrews 3.14. You're going to see this word if again. Hebrews 3.14. He writes this. We have come to share in Christ. In other words, we have come to experience the gospel. Here's the word. If we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. See that word if again? See, the thing I've noticed about a lot of us in the church is this. I'm not sure we're we're clinging to the gospel like we think we are. And that scares me as a pastor. I feel what we do instead is we come and we go through the mantra of showing up every weekend on Sunday and we hear Francis preach and we're totally blessed to have a guy like Francis who can communicate like Francis can. And he gets up here and he shares with us. And then I wonder, in the back of my head, mainly because I know myself and as I deal with others, how many of us grab this gospel which he shares about and cling to it with everything that we have. See, there's something unique about that if statement because those that don't cling to the gospel, those that don't cling to it, uniquely Paul is going to talk about, literally aren't people that are even saved. And the concern that I have when I'm talking about this is every year a new group of seniors leaves Cornerstone Community Church. And the thing that breaks my heart is over and over and over I find groups of students that aren't clinging to the gospel. They're clinging to a church. But the moment that this church is no longer here and they go somewhere else, we find out they're not clinging to the truth that saves them. Now this truth becomes so important because in life, what you cling to, you'll pursue. Whatever you cling to most, you'll pursue. In other words, if your job is the most important thing to you, you will cling to it with everything that you have and you will invest your time into it with everything that you have. If your family is the most important thing to you, you will cling to your family with everything you have and you will invest the most amount of time into that family and you can pick anything else. Uh, TV, internet, uh, uh, dot, dot, dot. And what Paul's going to say is this. If you really want to know what life is about, you will cling to the gospel with everything that you are. And he's going to explain what it means to cling to this gospel in his next few verses. And now let me just preface it by saying this. As a pastor of this church, there's nothing more that I pray about than this body of people will believe so much in the gospel that they will invest their lives, their jobs, their energy into it with everything there are. And there are so many of you in here that shock me all the time the way you cling to the gospel and you pursue Christ. When I hear some of the stories that float into the office about what God is doing through some of you, it absolutely blows my mind. I'm reminded that I'm so fortunate to be involved in a church. I mean, I was thinking about it. This last service in the front row, there was one guy that was a former Hells Angel seated right next to a guy that was a uh, pretty wealthy businessman. I thought, how cool is our church? (laughs) A former Hells Angel and a guy that makes lots of money. I mean, it's just like, wow. But there's something to know that's bigger than Cornerstone. It has got to be composed of a group of people that believe so much in this truth that they will base every decision in their life upon it. Because we all know that the moment that you try to leave the script, how God has designed us to live, only bad things can happen. If you don't believe me, there's these people named Adam and Eve. You should talk to them about it. 
Holy cow, talk about a bad thing for leaving the script, huh? In fact, we all still live with the consequences today. One little mistake, and all of us have lived this before, one little mistake can have dire consequences, can it? Over and over, I'll have somebody sit down in a chair in my office and say, gosh, I didn't realize just this one mistake would cost me what it cost me. And it cost them a lot. Now, here's what Paul's going to do, though. He's going to come in and he's going to say this. I'm going to show you how it is that you can become this person that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 9. This person that literally grasps so hard to the gospel and draws so much blessing from it. But he said, this is the way in which you're going to have to live if you're going to choose to live this, if you're going to choose to fulfill this. If you're really going to find meaning in life, you're going to have to live it in verses 24 through 27. Because if you don't live this way, the rest of your life is going to become really meaningless. All right? So go with me to verse 24. Let me show you where I'm going. Verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse 24. Do you not know, he says, that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Now what he's saying in there is he's conjuring up their heads when he says, don't you know, he uses this Greek word oidas to kind of draw back this factual information. And what he's doing is he knew in 51 AD he was hanging out with the Corinthians and he got to see what were called the Ismian Games. Now the Ismian Games were kind of like the Olympic Games. They rivaled the Olympic Games at that time in which they would bring all these athletes from all over the empire at that time. They would converge on, on Corinth. And they would be, they would then have what they had running exercises, they had uh, jumping, uh, discus, boxing, wrestling. Those were the five main events that they did. And he's calling to their memory. Remember when I was there? Do you remember when we saw these games getting ready to take place? For 10 months, these people would train. In the final month of their training, they would come to Corinth and they would work out at the various gymnasiums in Corinth and all the people would see people running up the Acro-Corinth, this big giant hill, and running here and running there and boxing in the various gymnasiums and wrestling. And, and so the Corinthians had a good idea that Paul's using an illustration in which they clearly understood what he was talking about. And then he said this to him. He said, you know when they run... They only run for one reason. They run to get what? The prize. When I was in high school, there was this guy named John Godina that I used to make, we all used to make fun of. I don't know why we made fun of him because he was so much bigger than us. But every time we wanted to do something, we would be, you know, go to the lake. We we're going to wakeboard. We we're like, hey man, you want to go wakeboard? I can't. I've got a train. Okay. Hey, we're going to all go out. We're going to go play poker. We're going to go do this. We're going to do that. Do you want to come along? No, no. He was always no, no, no. You know, we're just like, come on, John. You can just miss one day. It's all right. If you, you're not going to get injured. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. But then in 2001, I had the opportunity to see something where John's life began to make sense for what he was pursuing. In 2001, he won the world championships in the shot put. He threw that thing over 73 feet, a 16-pound ball. Not bad. And as I sat watching him, I understood what his life was about. He walked to the top of the stand, you know, and when they have those flags all draped behind them, and all of a sudden I hear the national anthem start to play. And behind him raises this American flag, and I thought, and I made fun of him. (laughs) Besides the fact he's 6'4", 275 pounds. But I just, you know, it's just like... He lived out. He fulfilled his goal in life. 
He told all of us, no, 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 because what he had in mind was he had a prize in mind. Six world championships, two Olympic medals. Okay, not many of us can say, oh yeah, I've done that. But all of his life through high school, even junior high, high school, college, was all about that standing on that stand and the American anthem playing and him having a gold medal wrapped around his neck and the crowd sitting there in awe as that happened. See, John understood as an athlete, he was devoted to the prize. Now, Paul's going to turn the corner here and he's going to say, look, all these people, they run this and they go after it. But in verse 24, he's going to say, run in such a way so that you get the prize. And it's a command. You run in such a way that you get the prize. Now, he's not talking that there's only one winner. In other words, we're not all clamoring for one prize at the end of of life where only one of us is going to get it. But he's saying that the only people that will ever get it are those people that are true runners. Everyone else will be disqualified. He's going to talk about here a little bit later. The only people that are going to get the prize are those that choose to run like these athletes he's going to talk about. Now, this prize is so important, and I think sometimes in our head we think, okay, so what's the big deal? What's the prize? And he's going to answer that. Look at verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now, that word crown is this Greek word stephanos, and what they would do is, especially at the Corinthian games, they would either take parsley or they would take uh, pine and they would wrap it into that. You've probably seen it on like TV. They would wrap it around their head and they would, they would sit it on their head. That was the Stephanos. The man that won that would, would parade that out. In other words, to wear the Stephanos was to be a man of high honor because you were the one of everyone that won. Now he's going to say something very interesting, verse 25. He's going to say, look, they do it to get a crown. Do you see this word? That will not last. The Greek word is imperishable or is perishable. Literally what he's saying is is they're competing for a crown that before they put it on their head is already starting to die. And then he says this. What are you competing for? They devote their lives to a little wreath and a little fame for a little time. And then he says, but you've got to understand you're Stephanos. (laughs) Your Stephanos is different. Your crown is different. See, after they played the national anthem for my friend John, after it was all said and done, guess what? He's only a memory in books. That's it. His medal, I've seen it. It's stored away in a vault. He put it at a bank. It sits in there. In other words, he doesn't wear it around going, hi, national cha- or world champion, how you doing? You know what I mean? That's just not what he's doing. Why? Because all of these things just are fleeting things. One day, just like everyone else, he's going to get old. He's going to get bad knees. He's going to get a bad back. He's going to eventually die. And Paul says to these people, but that's not your Stephanos. Your Stephanos is different. Your crown is so much better than anything that parsley on your head. I mean, you think about it. That's a garnish now for food. Hey, we're going to put a little garnish for food on your head. Congratulations. You know, it's like, no. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about with this Stephanos. Open up your Bibles with me to Philippians 4. Let me show you a little bit about the Stephanos that he's going to talk about. Philippians 4, this crown. 
In Philippians 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, brothers, you whom I love and long for, and look what he calls them, my joy and crown, or, and that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Do you see what he calls them? He says, you people are my what? Stephanos. Now that's super important. Because one day and somehow what Paul is seeing here is that when he is standing in heaven, God is going to uniquely look at Paul and say, your crown is so much different than parsley or pine, Paul. And he's going to start looking and pointing at different people that Paul had affected their lives, that God had used him to change their lives. And he's going to say, see that one? That's your crown. See that one over there? That's your crown. See that one and that one and that one? Yesterday I was just sitting down and I was trying to remember all the people that might be my Stephanos. And I started to get so excited. I'll never forget probably this guy that I thought I was... You ever had those moments where you don't want to do something but you do it anyways and then you're glad you did it? I was supposed to go meet with this guy that... Drug dealer, um, I didn't know what else he was involved in, but this girl's just like, please, could you go have a bagel with him? I'm like, okay, it's public place, everything's cool, he's not going to kill me. And we're sitting there, and I started to just talk to him, and I just looked in his eyes, and I started just to explain the love of Jesus Christ. And he stopped me, and he goes, I just need to ask one question. Can he forgive me? I said, you better believe it, man. He can forgive you. And he just started to cry. He goes, oh my gosh. He goes, I was leaving Florida with a trunk full of drugs. He goes, we were supposed to go to Louisiana, kill a guy, and then we were supposed to go to California. And he goes, I got scared in Louisiana, left with the car with all the drugs in the back because I didn't want to kill somebody. He goes, Todd, really? He goes, do you think God could save someone like me? And I can't wait for the day. Like, I just can't wait till we're in heaven. And we're like, remember we were in that bagel shop and the bagels were bad, but we still, you know, you, you totally believed in Jesus and I thought you were going to kill me. I didn't really want to come, dude. You know? <laughs> but one day God's going to go to me and i like, now I'm probably going to lose it because I told you about it. But it's just... <laughs> Todd, this is better than parsley. This is a real, live, breathing human being. There's only a few things that are eternal. God, His Word, and people. And one day God's going to go, Todd, that's your Stephanos. Not only that, He's not going to stop there. I'm glad He explains more of this Stephanos. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians 2.19. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. He kind of gives the same thought. When He says this, Verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, look at this word again, our crown or the crown, the Stephanos, in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Stop right there. He's setting up the stage right now to say, what am I looking forward to? He's going to lay this whole idea out. I'm looking forward to when Jesus comes because this is going to explain his crown. What's our crown in which we glory? He says, is it not who? You. You. See, I think sometimes I used to think, oh, I don't want a crown. I'm just going to throw it back at Jesus' feast anyways. You know, it's like, I don't know. Until all of a sudden I started to learn about these crowns that are going to be handed to me. And I realized that this crown isn't just this piece of metal God is going to hand to me. 
In a metaphorical way, he's explaining this is bigger than just parsley. It's bigger than a piece of metal. These are real, live, breathing human beings. He goes on, he says this. Go with me to uh, 2 Timothy 4.8. He kind of lays out a different idea of the crown. 2 Timothy 4.8. This is Paul at the very end of his life. (laughs) Actually, let's start verse 6. I love this whole passage. Verse 6, he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm dying. And the time has come for my departure. And look what he says about himself. I would love to say this when I'm done. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there's in store for me. And he says this, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. How cool would that be to say at the end of your life? I was sitting down thinking about that yesterday. I'm like, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I'm like, wow, I don't know. But then he connects it to this unique idea. He says, it's for all those who long for the appearing of Jesus. That was the next question I had to ask myself. See, part of this Stephanos is for this group of people that can't wait to see Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. On Mondays, I love to see Jesus. Friday's a little less. But he's saying there's something unique about this group of people that are believers in Jesus Christ that can't wait for Jesus to come back. In fact, he's also saying this crown is reserved for only those people. In fact, one of the things for you on a personal level that you should know about is that if you, can, if you are somebody that could care less if Jesus comes back or if it's not an integral part of your life, you should probably ask the question, am I really even saved? In other words, when is the last time you thought, oh man, I can't wait till Jesus comes back? <sighs> I can't wait to hear the trumpet. I mean, wouldn't that be wild? Like, even right now, I would love it if all of a sudden, and we were just like, yes, let's just leave. Let's just go. When's the last time you just got so excited because you knew that there was a Jesus who in John 14 said, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I am, you there also you will be. And it's this place that's made of many mansions, many rooms. There's plenty of room for everyone. And it's going to be so different and so distinct. It's going to be so much better than this life. Because in order to understand this crown that Paul is going to have, you've got to understand the prize. And let me tell you something. The prize isn't now. There's reward now, but the prize isn't till later. Go with me on. Let's look at this, Stephanos. Uh, James 1.12. I'll kind of hurry through him. I'm taking too long here. James 1.12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the, and he talks about it this way, the crown of life. Go with me to Revelation 2.10. He's going to talk a little bit more about this crown of life. Revelation 2.10. He says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and look at this word, and I will give you the crown of life. See, in this life, if there's no reward at the end, we are wasting our time right now. You ever thought about that? 
If there's no resurrection, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, then we might as well just eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. And the scary thing for me is, is I believe most of us say there's a resurrection, but we live like there's not one. In other words, we really do just eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. We just kind of coast through life. And what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 9 is he's saying, that is not an option. I can't do that. My eternal destiny is based upon the fact of whether or not I hold on to this faith or I let go of this faith. Now, what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying I'm teaching a works-based salvation where I teach that somehow by good works I can come, somehow come to know Christ. But what I am saying is, is a true faith does not let go of its gospel. Those that let go only reveal that they really don't believe that gospel in the first place. And he's looking at all these people and he's saying, you've got to understand that gospel, you've got to cling to it with everything you are, with every fabric of you you are, and you don't let anything else get in the way of you clinging on to that gospel. Now he explains it this way. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. In verse 25 again. How is it that I'm going to cling to my faith? He says this. Everyone who competes in the games, he's going to say, goes into strict training. Now, when I hear that word, sometimes I'm like, ugh, ugh. Believe it or not, I used to be about 50 pounds lighter, and I used to be a distance runner. And uh, now that I carry 50 pounds, I'm now, I run from one end of the house to the other, and I start to wheeze. <clears throat> but I remember the... There were times through college I forgot what the goal was. And in forgetting what the goal was, training became less and less and less and less important. Now what he's saying is, as I go into strict training, is he's saying that you better understand the goal or you will not go into strict training. In other words, the job of you in your life and the job of the church is to constantly keep in front of you the goal of your life. See, the problem is, and I've done this, and several other pastors have done this, is that we forget to tell you what the goal is. And so what happens is, is because there's no goal, we start to kind of run wherever it is. And look with the verse 20, uh, 26 with me. The problem is, when I forget the, old, the goal, I can start to be like this man that's running aimlessly, or I can be like this man who's beating the air. Now, the, the interesting part about that concept is, is, has anybody ever seen the Charlie Brown where he wants to woo this girl over, and so he's going to run this race and win it so that he can woo her over? Has anybody ever seen that? Okay, I'm the only one. Praise God. Um, <clears throat> in it, he's, he's running this race. And, and when he steps up to the line, the only reason that he was running that race was because he wanted this girl to like him. And so he's, you know, the gun goes off and he starts running and he, all he can think about is this girl. And as he starts to think about the girl, all of a thing happens though, as he slides his head back. I still see it like it's a cartoon on TV. And he's running and everyone else turns the corner and he runs out of the stadium. <laughs> yeah. Starting to recall it, aren't you? Starting to remember it. Now the reason that he ran out of that stadium is because he was focused on the girl and not focused on the goal. By the way, young men in this room. Just kidding. Okay. Now, but that's what happened to him. And what we do in churches is, is we get you so focused on all these different things. I want to fix my family. Got to fix my family. Got to fix my marriage. Um, I've got to be a better person at work. I've got to... And we start to get so focused on helping you get good at these other things and we forget to put in front of you and go, heaven. Oh, heaven, heaven, heaven. No more crying. No more tears. No more pain. 
and we don't look at you and say, listen to me. We might as well work hard now because we have an eternity to rest. We're like Charlie Brown pursuing that girl. I mean, the funny part about no one, a lot of times you don't see it because you don't see that picture of that guy boxing. But the idea of what he's saying to the guy boxing is, can you imagine they're, they're having a boxing match and all of a sudden the bell rings, you know, ding, ding. And the guy comes out and he walks over to the referee and goes, boom, and he knocks him out. Paul's like, that's what this guy is. He walks back over, his opponent's back over here and he starts hitting the post, you know, starts clamoring on the, on the, on the ring. And, and the guy that's fighting him is going, what in the world? See, Paul said, I'm not going to do that. And what happens is a lot of times in life we're thinking, oh, i got to make money. got to make money. And we're hitting the post over and over. We're hitting the post and the opponent's behind us going, what in the world? i got to do this. i got to do that. So we're swinging. We're going all over life. We're running. We don't have a clue where we're running. But we're going somewhere. And Paul says, listen to me. If the goal is the gospel of Jesus Christ realized in heaven, you've got to focus everything you do in life upon that and upon that alone, nothing else. Or the world is going to look at us like we are absurd. How in the world can we tell people heaven, 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 and yet then we live like there's no heaven? It's a contradiction. And he says we can't be that way. And in fact, this word strict training that he talks about, literally the idea is is that I will not allow anything to come into my life that will keep me from accomplishing that goal. My friend John, I don't know how many times he said no to us. (laughs) And we had some good things to do. (laughs) Think about yourself in high school. Huh? Crazy stuff to do. Stuff that has no eternal value whatsoever. And for him, it had no value on winning the prize. And what Paul is saying by using words like strict training, he's saying, I do not allow anything to come in. Now, let's get a little bit specific on what I mean by that. For some of you, you have devoted your life to TV. You come home from work. You work so that you can come home and grab the remote and you can turn on the TV. And let me tell you something. The reality of TV, you can watch it. It's between you and the Lord. But in the end, is there really any eternal value whatsoever? We pour hours and hours. Americans are phenomenal TV watchers. We're great. We can can remote control right-handed and left-handed, can't we? I mean, we're ambidextrous when it comes to remote controls. We've got five of them, and we know how all of them work. Our great-grandparents would have come into our culture and just gone, Ah! Internet. Some of you have made it to the end, haven't you? You have successfully navigated the the web and you have found where that secret man lives. Might be guys in this room, video games, holy cow, video poker. Oh. I tried to get some from my wife for women and after talking to her, I decided I wasn't going to say them. And so I'll just let you women know the things you get preoccupied with. Scrapbooking. So... Now, is there anything wrong with any of the things I just said? Inherently, no. But the question you have to ask yourself on a consistent basis is, does it keep me from falling in greater and greater love with Jesus Christ and more and more with the day that Jesus Christ returns? If it does, I would challenge you, remove it. 
Get rid of it. Do whatever it takes to be in such passionate love with Jesus, so focused on the goal that no matter what comes in, you're not going to allow it to come in. Because look at verse 27. He's going to say this. He says, no, I beat my body and I make it my slave. The idea of that beat my body doesn't mean we're supposed to go out and hurt ourselves. It's a metaphorical statement in which I give my body a black eye. In other words, my body doesn't tell me what to do. I tell my body what to do. And so in some of your cases, some of you have a hard time with issues like alcohol. Some of you have issues with food. Some of you have issues in all kinds of different areas. In other words, Paul is saying, whatever keeps you from falling in love in a greater, greater way with Jesus Christ, remove it. Remove it. Because the only thing that matters is that gospel and clinging to it till the end. Now he finishes this way in verse 27. He says, I do all this so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I spent a long time on that statement trying to figure out what in the world Paul was trying to say there. Because I wanted to make sure as I stood in front of you that I stood in front of you and told you to the best of my ability what that means. And the best way I can explain it to you is go with me to 2 Corinthians 13. Because he uses a similar word in in 2 Corinthians 13. The word that he uses in 1 Corinthians is adakamazo. But then in 2 Corinthians 13.5, he uses the word dakamazo to explain something. He says, examine yourselves. To see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Salvation is by faith alone. In Christ alone. Through grace alone. I can't earn salvation. But one should never assume he has salvation unless he has a faith that works. He's getting to the very end there, and I couldn't imagine. You know how that there's the parable where Jesus is talking, and that guy stands in front of, of Jesus one day, and he says, Yeah, but I prophesied in your name. I did this in your name, and I did this in your name. And what does Jesus say to him? Depart from me. I don't know you. See, I would say you're better off to live this life, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die, because at least you enjoyed this life then get to the end of life and realize that I lived a halfway life and Jesus looks at me and says, you know what? You, Adakamadzo, you failed the test. You never had a true faith. That's one of the scariest words I think I could use. And even Paul says, I evaluate myself. I've tested myself. I've run myself through this test to know, am I this man that with all of my fabric is clinging to God, to the gospel with everything I am because I believe so much in the return of Jesus Christ and the reward that's coming with him. And so therefore, all of my life is bent around this one object and this one object alone. And that is living a radical life where the gospel guides everything that I do. Everything. See, oftentimes I would say we don't take a job because we believe it's the best means by which to communicate the gospel. We take a job because it gives me the best value for, or the best uh, uh, salary. Struggle with salary. 
My kids, why do your kids play sports? I'm not saying sports are bad, but I talked to one mom. She is the human taxi. Man, her kids are in dance and football and basketball and baseball and soccer. And she starts listing off all the things she does. And I looked at her and I said, when's the last time you sat down and prayed with your kids and asked the question, does that sport help you fulfill the gospel? See, this is what Paul's talking about. It's taking every decision and evaluating it under the guise of, or under, under, the, under the structure of, does it advance the gospel or does it not? Because if I'm living this life where I could care less about how the gospel affects it, Paul says you might not be passing the test. And when he says you may not be passing the test, you may be somebody in this room that isn't truly a follower of Jesus Christ, which means you don't know God, which means you are facing an eternity which has nothing to do with heaven and everything to do with hell. Now that's sobering. And let me tell you something, I've had to run myself through this ringer. See, I've always thought because I'm a pastor that I'm always doing good things. Getting up, meeting with the fellas, praying, giving them good advice, going through the mantra, doing my, uh, all my various things that pastors are supposed to do. But I'm like Paul. I'm sitting there looking and saying, do I really pass the test? Do I really have an authentic faith? In other words, do I sit down in the morning and look at my schedule and go, God, your gospel is more important than anything else on this schedule. I'm not going to meet with this person. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do all these various things unless I'm convinced that your gospel is the most important thing here. Because let me tell you something. I'll get tired for that. I'll get tired for it because when I invest the gospel into people's lives... The reward is immense when I get to heaven, when I have time to rest. But I believe so often all of us don't really even get to enjoy what the gospel is and what the church is because we're all so busy. We're going a million miles an hour doing all kinds of things that have nothing to do with the gospel and what really matters in life and helping you crave and love Jesus Christ more and more and more you have no time for. I understand the need to make money. I get it. We have to. But it's sitting down and asking the question, when you go to work tomorrow, is that your mission field? Have you ever thought about it, that you were placed uniquely in that job unlike nobody else on this planet? And you are called to be a missionary in that unique place where you work and to be the church where you work. Moms, you're called to be the church at home. You're called to look at your children and go, Children, see this thing called the gospel? Don't let go. I don't care what happens to you. Don't let go. When life gets tough, don't let go. When all these temptations come at you, don't let go. But the scariest thing in the world are parents that tell their kids to cling to that gospel and then they let go and go do their thing and come back later and hold on. That's called hypocrisy and that's why there's such a large rate of dropouts amongst kids inside of the church. See, the thing I'm praying for Cornerstone is this just becomes a mass of people that with everything we are, we look at each other right in the eye. We get involved with our neighbors that live around us. 
And we look at each other and say, we are going to hang on to this gospel for everything that we have. And we're going to call everyone around us to this gospel. We're going to get to know our friends that live on the left and on the right, the ones that live behind us and the ones that live across the street from us. We're going to call all these people to the most amazing thing in the world, this story that God is pulling off in which he's redeeming a humanity. And we're not going to let go because then we're going to look at each other and go, oh, heaven. <laughs> heaven. We're going to open up Revelation 22 and read to each other about this new Jerusalem coming out of the sky. This place where there's no more crying, no more fear, no more anything. When you have a friend that comes to you that's downtrodden, you're looking at him and you're going, oh, let's pray, but heaven. When you've lost a job, oh, I know it's going to be tough, but heaven. It's sitting there and getting preoccupied with what the church has been preoccupied with for years and years and years. That being, our home is not here. Our home one day is with God in heaven. I'm sorry for the times that I've preached to you non-heaven things. I was sitting back thinking, gosh, what have I done that's contributed to some of our like not love of heaven? And I know I've preached messages that aren't heaven, but I'll tell you what. My prayer is that no matter who comes and talks to me, we're going to talk about heaven. Because in my life right now, I want to be that man that stands in front of Jesus and he says, well done. I could care less if I hear the national anthem. How depressing would that be? <laughs> God walks you out there. <laughs> no! <laughs> Instead, the national anthem of Christians is Jesus looking at us and going, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom. That's what Paul's talking about. In 1 Corinthians 9, he's looking at all these beautiful people in Corinth and he's saying, Look, even if you have to get rid of things in your life, start getting rid of them in order so that you can focus on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone so that you can get enamored with heaven. So there's what I've been thinking about. And that's what I'm praying for everyone in here about. A lot of you knew uh, a police officer that just died, one of the SWAT members. And everything I heard about his funeral, I would love to be that man right now. (laughs) As everybody talks about him, they're like, just this glowing thing about how he walked with Jesus. And can you imagine the the moment he stood in front of Jesus and Jesus goes, well done, now watch what I'm going to do with your death. Thousands and thousands of people heard the gospel when Jesus Christ called that man home. Thousands. And you know right now he's up in heaven going, no way. I didn't expect that dude to come to Jesus. And God's going, you haven't seen nothing yet. Right? See, he is where I've always wanted to go. And that's what I'm praying for Cornerstone. A group of people that just can't wait for eternity, but understand we got work to do right now. Amen? All right, Jesus, I love you. Thank you so much for this precious group of people. God, I stand before a group of people that are blood-bought individuals. You paid the ultimate price. You died upon a cross to display how amazing you are by calling them to yourself. And one day, God, I can't wait to hear you say, come home. In the meantime, God, I pray that we would cling to heaven and we would work 
our tails off now knowing that we have eternity to rest. God, help us to work wise. Help us not to be flailing and running aimlessly. But God, may our work be the work that you want us to do. God, I pray for everyone in here where they live in their neighborhoods. I pray that people in this church would start to work together to help see their friends come to know Jesus Christ. And people at work would work together to help their friends come to know Jesus Christ. That people would care for each other and love each other. And that God, that it would just be echoing through our church. Heaven, 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 heaven. Because we can't wait to see you and you alone. Thanks so much. Thanks for the cross. Thanks for the empty tomb. Thanks for the fact right now you hear us and you're interceding for us. Thanks for your Holy Spirit, God. We understand we can do none of this apart from him. Keep us faithful, God. Keep us clinging to your gospel. In your precious name we pray. Amen.